0: podcast. Unlocking Potential is a project based at Maynooth University, Ireland and is kindly supported by the Public Service Innovation Fund.
1: Studies show that people with convictions are largely drawn from the same groups who are underrepresented in higher education. The aim of Unlocking Potential is to increase access for people with convictions including prisoners and former prisoners. Over six episodes, we'll hear from a variety of voices who will share their experiences and perspectives on the role of universities and colleges in supporting fair access and creating safer communities. We will address questions like, why is fair access for people with convictions important? How can we make this happen? And who needs to be involved? Welcome to this episode of the Unlocking Potential podcast. I'm Joe Garrahi, And in this episode, I'm delighted to be joined by three guests to discuss an an issue that is inexorably linked to the heart of this project. The Unlocking Potential project aims to address barriers and stigmatization for people with convictions in their access to and pathways through higher education. Employment represents another key protective factor in supporting people's pathways to reintegration. And that is where our focus lies today. I'm delighted to be joined by Siobhan Cafferty, Damien Quinn and Pat Callanan. Welcome to you all. If I could start with you Siobhan, could you tell us a little bit about your work in this area?
0: Yeah I can indeed Joe. thank you uh, very much for for having me on and just before I get started I would just like to commend absolutely everybody who's involved in the Unlocking, Unlocking Potential initiative It's absolutely so crucial, crucial, as I think uh, both Damien and Pat will attest now later on when they're speaking, is that we need uh, all of the pieces of the jigsaw to come together if people are actually going to bring about sustainable change for themselves. So, yeah, my name is uh, Siobhan Cafferty and I am the Social Enterprise Project Manager working with the Prison and Probation Services and on behalf of the Department of Justice, bit of a long-winded title but uh, that's effectively what I do so I suppose for those listeners that that aren't familiar with what a social enterprise is it is essentially any business it can be any business whatsoever but the major difference between a commercial business or a mainstream business and a social enterprise is the fact that the majority of the profits um earned through in a social enterprise are plowed back in for the benefit of of this social mission that is attached to that business so in our case an awful lot of the social enterprises will have a social mission to say for example employ people from marginalized backgrounds or those who have been long-term unemployed and obviously within that cohort or that definition people who have a criminal record and who have found it difficult to access employment fits within that so as i said it can be any business whatsoever in fact, there's, there's, they reckon that there's about 6,000 social enterprises within Ireland um, and often they go under the radar and some, some are very good at being public about uh, putting themselves out there and then others feel that they don't need that. feel that that's necessary. So really social enterprises are all around us. They really provide the backbone to Irish society and actually have to say throughout COVID in 2020, they really stepped up to the plate. Um, and really, I suppose, supported their local community and continued with the employment of people who were further marginalized as a result of COVID. So they play a significant role. So why, I suppose, uh, do I do what I do? Um, I come from working in the community and voluntary sector with a number of marginalized groups. Um, And my most recent role prior to this one was uh, I was a manager of a probation-funded project called the Bridge Project here in Dublin. And we worked with Uh, adult male violent offenders Um, and despite the vast majority of the people that we worked with wanting to change on release from prison everything was was against them essentially Um, and finding work uh, they were talented people they had skills um, and experiences I suppose that that employers were seeking um, but the criminal record was something that was really holding them back So in in my role, I suppose I said, we need a stepping stone. Where's the buffer? Where's the buffer between prison or people being on probation and mainstream employment? And in the research, the international research piece that I did, social enterprise came up as a model that has worked in other areas. And we decided here, the Department of Justice, the Irish Prison Service and the Probation Service decided we need to do this because what we're doing isn't working as well as it should. So back in 2017, the Department of Justice launched uh, their first social enterprise strategy called a new way forward, and it really was. And I'm very pleased to say that um, that worked incredibly well. And we'll give I'll give some examples now in a moment. But back in November of last year, um, uh, the the new Minister for Justice, Minister Helen McEntee, launched the second iteration of that uh, social enterprise, um, I suppose, policy uh, and broadened it out to include both social enterprise employment as well as entrepreneurship as potential employment options for people with criminal records.
1: I think that's uh, a a very good synopsis of your work and the initiatives that are ongoing. And within that, I think it's really important to note uh, some of the overlaps with this project. And as you rightly say, when uh, seeking to be more inclusive and targeting marginalized communities, the overlap between people who have been marginalized in various different ways and potentially have a, a conviction uh, is, is very uh, significant. But another point that I think is well worth uh, highlighting is that while inclusion is is quite a buzzword at the moment and, and a crucial part of both of our work, that part of the uh, attraction is not just inclusion, is that people who have been excluded thus far by informal and formal barriers are uh, an addition to the employment, an addition to the higher education university and can really contribute uh, in fantastic ways rather than just being allowed in. They are a great addition to uh, that environment uh, and bring so much to it. And that has been the case uh, in in Maynooth University where uh, they have a long history of, of including people from diverse uh, communities. Um, one thing that struck me though, for people who have never ever uh, potentially heard of uh, social enterprise, could you give a couple of examples of some of the businesses without naming names, of course, but some of the businesses that are uh, operating as social enterprises that maybe people may not have any uh, idea that they are, just to give a sense of the, their, those 6,000 uh, social sure. enterprises you mentioned.
0: They really span a number of different sectors, to be honest with you, Joe. I mean, it's everything from the hospitality sector, catering, manufacturing, recycling. There's a lot of kind of waste management uh, elements uh, that social enterprises have really kind of taken charge of retrofitting to uh, upcycling to uh, furniture making furniture restoration really i mean any business whatsoever as i said can be a social enterprise and there are a huge number of examples right around the country where they are employing people that no one else will employ whether it's people with criminal records whether it's people who are long-term unemployed and don't have a recent cv that's full of various different jobs or for example, members of the travel community. So they really play a very significant role in giving people the opportunity to be able to get their foot on the employment ladder. Um, and in many cases, now within the criminal justice sector, we see it as a buffer. We see mm. it not as the end result, we see it as a stepping stone to mainstream employment where there is a higher earning potential for that individual. Um, and what I suppose what employment in a social enterprise does it gives the individual a belief in themselves that, A, they can do it, that they can be employed, that mm-hmm. they're worthy, that, yes, they may have a past, um, but this is their future, and their present and their future. Um, and from, from the employer's point of view, and we'll hear from Patna later on, is that actually they they are a, an added value to, to any business. Um. And of course, there's going to be exceptions to that, but the very nature of HR and recruitment is that, you know, you're, you're going on the merits of someone who's sitting in front of you for 15, 20 minutes. Um, and in the case of people who have criminal records, in my experience of working firsthand with people, they very much want to be able to, to move on and to be given that opportunity and for employers to see beyond their past. I mean, one of the things that I often say to employers or anybody really who will listen to me is, um, is at what point can someone lose the label of being an offender or ex-offender or ex-prisoner at what point haven't done their sentence haven't completed their probation sanction haven't done what the judge has handed down to them as a punishment for the crime or crimes that they have done at what point can they actually leave that label behind and i firmly believe it's one of the one of the most difficult if not the most difficult label to leave behind and i think in, in the experience of the people that I've worked with um, both, on both sides, both, both the person who has a history of, of criminality and also employers, changing the label from offender, ex-offender, ex-prisoner to employee or employer makes a significant difference. And in terms of the unlocking potential piece that you're doing, changing that to also student, third level student is significant. And it's about that self-identity piece, um, you know, I'm being able to move on. Like securing a place in a third level institution or securing a job cannot undo the harm that that crime caused in the first place. But we know for a fact that it can absolutely reduce that harm in the future, completely in some cases prevented from ever happening again. So we we, we acknowledge that that's happened, that there is a history, that that's there. Everybody has a history. Um, but we have to be able to acknowledge that people have to be given the right to be able to move on and um, and having done their time as handed down to them and losing and shedding the label of offender or ex-offender uh, is something that goes a significant way towards that.
1: Absolutely and I think that's a point well made and it's something that we really want to focus on in this project is that uh, role of self-identity and becoming a student instead of being labeled an ex-offender or the various other labels. And that can, as you said, it doesn't uh, remove the potential uh, past harm that may have been suffered or uh, caused, but it is a step towards a better future. That, again, with unfortunate blanket policies, whether it's in employment or uh, in education, often uh, perpetuate those identities and labels, whether uh, with little regard for the complexity of everyone's life and everyone's story and what the future may or may not hold. Um, so I think the point about the buffer is very important as well, and, and many of our listeners may not be familiar with this, uh, what is often called in the criminological literature, this transition period of this uh, process of going either from uh, incarceration to Uh, that uh, road to freedom rather than that release date. And that uh, this is something that uh, the literature would talk about and something we're conscious of in terms of gaining access to university. Being released from prison is only a point in time, whereas uh, being supported and moving through that uh, new journey requires an awful lot of perseverance, an awful lot of uh, self-discipline, but also some support along the way to give people that buffer between identities, between states. Um, and I, I think that's a really key point to, to highlight. Um, if I could turn to you, Damien, and uh, ask if you could tell us a little bit about uh, some of the challenges that you've uh, faced over the years uh, in your uh, seeking employment.
2: First of all, I suppose you've just finished on transition there. So you're transitioning from any closed environment to to the real world again. And luck can happen over a, a short number of years. You know, things change. In my particular journey, I decided to relocate. Uh, I didn't want to go back home, which I found out later was a bit of a mistake. So I just got the map of Ireland one day and I threw a pen at it. I landed slap down in the middle of Athlone, So I went there for a year. And it really didn't work out, but there was bits and pieces put in place. I had uh, I, I had a, got a high level of education in prison while I was in there. I'd done level five and level six an Open University stuff, and uh, I felt really good getting out. That I had a lot going for me, kind of thing. But uh, the reality was that sure, I was coming from prison, and uh, not a lot of uh, colleges or things like that wanted to engage, and uh, even like homeless services as well. So what ended up happening with me was I got a bus pass and I got a and b for two nights, and I had to kind of, you know, <laughs> ride my luck, so. And I did, and I met an, a, a nice guy and I got a place and all that kind of stuff. But, um the thing that was put in place for me at the time was kind of a backwards step back to a, a, an organization doing level three and level four of ETAC, which is what it was at the time. And um, I kind of lost focus because I had all that stuff done before I went to prison and I was kind of hoping for a bit of con- continuity and
1: mm-hmm. uh,
2: being on this course like it was the same I was getting the same income as social welfare I was trying to maintain a house uh, you know the rents were high uh, with no rent allowance and all that kind of stuff and then knocking on doors trying to get work and uh, every time you get so far so the veteran often oh, you'd have your you'd have your introduction, you'd have your uh, CV sent in, then you'd have the interview, you'd have the health and fitness test, you'd have the aptitude test, and the last thing they say to you then, just before you leave, uh, just one more question: Have you got Have you got any criminal convictions? And when you say yes, I have, everything that led up to that point is forgotten about, and it's the one thing that stays, it stays with the employer. Um, yes, yeah, this fellow was in prison, like. Uh, this fella did this or that and, and it's a really difficult difficult thing to overcome so i was trying to get work for a long time after getting out and i wa- wasn't able to do that no matter what i did i just couldn't do it so i just resigned to the fact i wouldn't get work and um i kind of everything kind of i kind of started behaving the way i was behaving before i went and that needed to change and uh, it did and i moved home and when i was back home and I was accountable to my family and the people around me then I stopped the message you know and I started concentrating and I found a third level course which became my focus so education kind of got me back to where I needed to be and I had a focus and I had something to get up for and concentrate on so that wasn't that was important but with regards to employment around uh, people with convictions it's a, it's a really difficult thing like only for employers like Pat or you know that don't look for, you know, what you did ten years ago, fifteen years ago, only for them employers, I probably wouldn't be employed today, like you know. So that that was key for me getting employment anyway. Was getting around the hump of vetting.
1: Yeah. Absolutely, I, I think you've 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 said uh, so much there that just to to um to query a couple of points, just because there was there was a lot of great points made, and I think. At the beginning, you said about you know trying to figure out how to successfully transition. You know, as you said, uh, you thought going somewhere else would be the best idea. And uh, it turned out that going uh home was the best idea, but uh other people would have the experience that going back into the environment that perhaps uh was problematic to begin with can be tricky. So again, trying to transition is incredibly difficult in trying to transition the right way with all the ongoing pressures um, the
2: only thing i just say there is like when when i was doing my, like i was drugged even on a fight and all that kind of stuff and when i' done all that stuff and when it all came to a head uh, i lost my friends my family my home everything so like you know i was i was ashamed about what happened and i didn't really want to go back doing all that stuff again so i thought relocated you know move away make a life for yourself crack on you know sort yourself up. i thought that was the, the best idea but well, it wasn't. I wasn't accountable. I wasn't accountable to anybody in a strange place. Nobody knew me, so I could do what I wanted. But when I moved home, that was the, All of them people that I felt guilty about hurting and upsetting or whatever, they knew what I was at, and and they'd know quite quickly if I was messing. And you know, it, I didn't want to hurt them again. So that was kind of. That's how the transit. The, bit, the best thing I could have done was go home. To begin with when I got out and trying to start again from there but it worked out in the end but I needed to kind of figure it out that way to
1: you know so. Absolutely it's really interesting uh, to get your experience on that because um, you could imagine that the clean slate approach as you, as you tried the first way around might be a way to as we're talking about get away from those uh, labels and get away from the kind of stigmatization that you were likely to encounter but in your case it worked in your favor to have that level of accountability of your of your family and friends um if I could just turn to Siobhan and bring you in there
0: yeah sorry um Joe for for jumping in and uh I love hearing Damien speak around this because you know it's great to see someone have come through the system and do so incredibly well um but I, I mean I think it would be remiss of me not to say that Damien's own personal perseverance and decision to change and want to change, despite all of the barriers, made him be where he is today. And he sought out employment and found Pat, and Pat listened. And Damien was at the point where he was was saying, I can't do this anymore. You know, one of the things that we need to be really uh, aware of is the fact that The vast majority of people who end up in the prison system or on probation or with criminal records, regardless of where those records may have come from, there's very often in the vast majority of cases underlying causal factors that got them there in the first place, whether there is early childhood bereavement or trauma, whether there was uh, alcohol or substance misuse, whatever it might be, homelessness, a whole range of different factors that often lead up to someone then ending up in the system and um, whether it's mental health issues we've got an awful lot of people with mental health issues in the prison system when it's not really the place for them to be they need a different type of support now in i will also say that there are people within the system who absolutely t- deserve to be in prison because they of their particular state of mind and and them seeking out a particularly criminal lifestyle but unfortunately in many cases people end up Uh, with criminal convictions because they've come through this very traumatic journey that they've been on. Um, And even like Damien saying, you know, I couldn't go back there. And even feeling that he couldn't go back to his family because maybe that wasn't the best thing or because of the shame that was attached to that. Like often and people will say that the sentence really only starts when you leave prison. And that label of offender is something that's very difficult to get rid of. Um, And that might be even just your own lack of uh confidence in yourself you see that you have this invisible label attached to you so therefore as Damien said I would only go for a job where uh the there wasn't I knew there was going to be no guard the vetting so you're already self-selecting and you're already limiting down the number of choices that you have so it's a real um it's a quandary to be honest with you and it's a difficulty that we have and it's it's something that's not easily fixed but the work into change strategy that was launched back in November is looking at those systemic barriers. It is looking at the things that can really knock a person's confidence. Like we still have difficulty for people who are in the prison system or on probation getting a photo ID. That's really, really challenging. And if you think of that as an individual, you need your photo ID for absolutely everything. If you want to open up, a bank account if you want to be able to rent somewhere you have to have photo id if you want to be able to uh, set up a utility bill if you want to do anything you need photo id and in some cases joe the difficulty that we have is that the the public services card by some banking institutions isn't being accepted as a legitimate form of photo id so there's these type of systemic barriers that really cause difficulties for people who are coming really with nothing They've come out of prison, as Damien said, he had a bus pass and two nights accommodation in in a hostel. That's it. You know, mm-hmm. um, and then we have all of these things that are challenges. And if you're still dealing with alcohol or drug misuse, if you've completely got a fractured family or no support system there, it, it's incredibly isolating and very difficult. Um, So, as I said, this strategy now we're hoping to be able to identify and name all of those difficulties and to address them one by one, and it's taking an interdepartmental approach to it, because the Department of Justice, Prison and Probation cannot do this themselves, they can't, and we need more employers like Pat, (laughs) who's brilliant, to be able to come on and see beyond someone's past and see that actually they have the capacity to change but they have changed and actually they can bring a huge amount to their business
1: well said and i think that uh that point about it uh the very various causal factors that lead people to imprisonment are often uh assumed to be uh no longer factors when somebody leaves prison because of the apparent euphoria of uh being released but Um, I think it's very profound what you said, Damien, about the fact that, um, you know, one, you have the perseverance to try and change things and you've made that decision and you're trying to do it in various different ways, including engaging with employers and working your way through the application process until, as you put it, that final question where everything is wiped out and you are therefore you know no longer a viable candidate in some people's eyes and so on and so forth um and does that I
2: suppose I'll, I'll just really quickly while i was waiting to go to prison and um, like i knew like the uh, charges pending or whatever um, and everything fell apart like that was the plan going to prison like i had to make the best of a, a bad situation so well, the first thing i did was make the point of going to the education unit because i believed and uh, that qualifications are important and I had none. And uh, that was that was the plan. So like all the way through the prisons, apart from whatever bits of messing you'd get caught up in, in there, and um, study was focused, you know, make a better mm-hmm. life for yourself for when you get out. But like, you know, I signed up to courses then that, you know, and I've got a high level of education in them where I can't actually apply that, you know. So I think mm-hmm. there's a bit there around colleges and things like that where they should kind of work with individuals to kind of best, put them on the best route for a college rather than put them studying something that they might not be able to apply anywhere because of their convictions or that type of thing, you know. I think that's a very important piece that needs to happen, you know.
1: I couldn't agree more, and I think that um, it's almost like a, a, a contradiction in terms that Uh, Some of the positives, as you said, you can achieve in prison with that kind of structured education and so on is one of the things that is uh, unsupported Then, when you get out. And as you said, there was no uh, track or pathway for you to go into uh, further education and used your education as a springboard to something else. You ended up having to go backwards in a sense because you'd, you'd, you'd... And I think I will mention... The uh, current Maynooth University and Mountjoy partnership, where that is exactly the aim of developing a, a stream uh, that has a pathway between Mountjoy and the university so their students are supported uh, while they're doing their education uh, during their sentence, but then they can either begin their studies at Maynooth University. Uh, before they leave or are supported to continue it after uh, release. So I think that's a a really good point. And I think, uh, as you mentioned, Siobhan, that this is part of a picture that requires uh, not just interdepartmental but intersectoral support and uh, and collaborations to kind of avoid that silo effect that is often uh, the problem in these situations. Um I think uh you, you've demonstrated, Damien, and, and you've highlighted Siobhan that sometimes, and I hope you don't mind me calling you a success story, Damien, uh, but sometimes when we hear from people who have uh done very well uh in their in their transition, in their pathway, people think, well, well that's okay then. But the level of perseverance and uh, determination and and uh, just guts that it demands to do what you've done isn't available to everybody and shouldn't be expected to be available to everybody. So therefore, we can't expect that level uh, to uh, be achievable. So the supports need to be there. And the some barriers are very straightforward, such as changing a policy, and others require much more uh, co- collaboration and uh, and teasing out, really. Um we've talked a lot about uh, the value of employment. Um, we have talked a lot about the concept of uh, uh, social enterprise, but I think it'd be a good time to bring Pat in. Uh, and firstly, I suppose for our listeners, if you could tell us a little bit about your business and your uh, uh, engagement with uh, Siobhan and uh, Damien so far.
3: Hi Joe, um, I run a small estate agency business in Athenry and Ryan Galway, um, been uh, operating for over twenty years, and uh, I employ, include myself, uh, a total of five people, and uh, uh, I Damien is now in his fourth year yeah. with with me, yeah. and uh, uh, every year has been better than the last one. And uh, my introduction to Damien was that we were advertising for uh, somebody on reception front of house. And Damien was one of many candidates that applied for the position. And I interviewed him with a colleague of mine at the time. And um, Damien stood out above all the rest who came from exceptional backgrounds. And um, I suppose I naturally gravitated towards Damien at the time. Uh, there was just something about him, and uh, offered him the position. And um, uh, I suppose the one thing I never asked him was about his background. I didn't feel the need to to ask him, or or was there a need? And um, so Damien started, and about a week, I think he took the first. we were on holidays, I think. Yeah. A yeah, yeah, week, yeah, week holidays. Yeah, a week holidays, and then he started work. And in the meantime, of course, Google being Google, uh, I I um most and uh, i found that there was a a past there shall we say so um i approached damien and and he stands up straight away and told me his background and you know he said because i didn't ask the question and fair play i was equally wrong but anyway apart from that given the position and as i said he's been four years into his fourth year here now with us and i you know he's, he's a really valid employee. Um, he's turned out to be a great friend, great worker. Um, he's constantly upskilling. He's constantly looking at mm-hmm. further ways to educate himself. Uh, he's very, very involved in the local community, uh, community games, um, and I have to say, a really hard worker. There's nothing I can't throw anything at him that he can't do. You know, it's it's just it's worked out. It's it's a dream and. I've had a lot of people employed down through the years, and he definitely, definitely stands out as being up there, right up there. Now, <laughs> I have to say, on my own, on my own front, that 2020 was a quite a tough year for us from the business point of view and for me personally. And not alone, he was there all the time, 100%. And um, I have to say, you know, top marks to him.
1: High praise indeed, <laughs> um, and and well deserved, I'm sure. Um, and can I ask you in a in a specific sense? You mentioned that you didn't ask about uh, any convictions or, or in the interview process. Was that a conscious choice, or just something that didn't enter your head at the time?
3: It, it, it just didn't enter my it didn't enter my mind, Joe. Because <laughs> the funny thing about it was that I think I advertised at the time, and I went back on it again. various other interviews that we've done um with damien i i think i interviewed about 15 people that time now all of them 14 of them were actually females right and damien was the only male (laughs) so it wasn't it wasn't something that i was looking for like you know that i asked everyone have you got a criminal background i didn't expect it you know but when it did raise its head joe and and damien came to me and told me exactly Exactly, you know, he didn't deny it, not for once. He told me full story, and I said, fair play. Now, I do believe that everyone, everyone, like, deserves a second chance here. And, you know, there's none of us, you know, none of us can put up our hand here and say we're squeaky clean. And and the one thing I find about the system is that I could go back on on the various search engines, and I could actually, um, you know, I, I had the ability and the, the, the know-how to check Damien's past. Now, the statute of limitation limitations exists predominantly, I suppose, in the financial sector. And I can't see why it can't exist in this system because like Damien and others you know, who are willing to make a go of their lives, why their past has to stay with them until, until the death, you know, and that is, I think that is a major, major flaw. Like I, 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 can, I can only speak for Damien, or about Damien here because I know, and I know what he's about, and I know what he has done, and I know how he he has tried to improve his life. You know, he has, um, he comes, he has, a, he has created a a wonderful family environment. He's got a great partner. And he's got two sons, a little baby. And uh, you know what I mean? It's it's incredible. It's an incredible story, and um, and I believe others like Damien O'Leary deserve their chance.
1: Point well made, mm-hmm. and I think uh, that was my next question. And, and but just before that, I was going to highlight something else you, you mentioned, and that is the uh, idea of uh, if if you want to call it the statute of limitations, or or in criminal justice terms, the spent convictions, which is very restrictive in its current form, but is under review. And hopefully there'll be some progressive moves on that in in the short term. Um, But as you say, um, I think that we did another episode on the GDPR aspect of this. And that idea that uh, asking people about their uh, past uh, may not necessarily satisfy the GDPR uh, legislation and also the other part of it is, you know, that right to be forgotten on Google, because it's one thing to say that people won't be asked, but Google is always there, and you know, it's uh, hard to lose uh, uh, or develop your new identity and your new pathways in life when somebody is only a Google away from dragging it back up, and so on and so forth. Um, but I was going to ask you, Pat, and I think you've mentioned a lot of it already, but if you were to uh, give some insight to other potential employers who might maybe have some misgivings or maybe they've never even thought about uh, you know being involved in uh, social enterprise or uh, their employment of people with convictions, what would you uh, say to them?
3: First of all, I suppose I, I, I wasn't really aware of social enterprise until Damien uh, started to educate me on it. Um, but I do believe that other employers uh, should definitely uh, consider, uh, you know, uh, giving people, you know, with with criminal backgrounds, uh, be it minor or whatever, you know, they, they definitely should. I, I can, as I said, Joe, I can only speak for my experience with Damien and uh, it's it's been a good one um so i don't know how we can educate other employers out there you know that may be thinking of of employing people coming from a similar background
0: can i just something there joe um i mean what pat is effectively describing is you know regardless of who you're recruiting the fit has to be right You know, know, Pat described that, you know, he had a number of different interviews prior to interviewing Damien and the fit for whatever reason wasn't right, whether that's to do with the skills and experience that the person has or whether that person, you know, is going to fit within the culture within a business. I think one of the things that we need to do on our side in terms of criminal justice sector is acknowledge the fear that some employers have about recruiting people with a criminal record and like with anything Joe like if we don't fully understand something it creates a a fear and we need to be able to do everything that we can and we are and we have an organization called IASIO whose main function is to support people who have criminal records into employment they're one organization you know um operating in Ireland we've an awful lot of people who who need that assistance um, and one of the things that we're doing at the moment is we're developing what's called a recruit and retain employment package. Um, and it's recognizing that actually the whole recruitment process, regardless of whether you have a criminal record or not, can be a challenge. From the employer's point of view, as I mentioned earlier on, that you know they might get 15, 20 minutes with someone sitting, a complete stranger sitting in front of them. And they have to make an assessment as to whether this person is going to be the right fit. And likewise, the individual then themselves has to say, does this feel right for me? Do I feel like that this person could be my employer or my my colleague? So that recruitment piece is crucial. But equally, the retention piece is where we also need to put the focus. And one of the things that we see, like in, in some cases, and in my experience of working with people with a with, with criminal background, if the job doesn't work out for whatever reason, they'll give it their best shot maybe for two weeks. And then they might go, actually, this just isn't for me. This is not what I wanted. And they just won't turn up. So from the employer's point of view, they're going, well, look, at I did give that person a second chance. But actually, now I don't really want to try that with anybody else who has a criminal record because it's going to the same thing is going to happen. Whereas actually, in reality, one of the things that we know is that when they can be assisted, both the employer and employee, through this process, the likelihood of retention goes up. Um, but also, if the job isn't the right fit from the employer's side of things or from the employee side, a managed exit strategy out of that is much better. Um, and it's much better for everybody all around. So that recruit and retain package, employment package, is about trying to assist both employers and employees to get that fit right. And I think for for many people and, and members of the public that I would have spoken to is that it's like, well, if someone has a criminal record and there's a vacancy, well, they should just get that vacancy. You know, just go to that job and then fill it. That's not the case. I wouldn't take any job. You know, I would I would want to make sure that actually it's something that I'm going to be happy in and content in and that I feel that I can contribute. And that should be the same for absolutely everybody. So, you know, often the mindset um, within the criminal justice system would be, you know, the construction industry is something that's always going to be there. So therefore, male offenders are almost kind of pushed towards that kind of construction industry side and female offenders kind of towards hairdressing or leather work or something along those lines. The more scope that we have and the variety of jobs that we can offer people with criminal records, the better chance it, it, there is that they're going to find something that suits them and their needs and their skills. Damien and Pat is a classic example. Damien's skills matched what Pat needed. And then Damien brought that personal uh, perseverance, peace, and that confidence to be able to say, I want this, I want this. So there's a lot of work that we need to do on our side. There's a lot that is happening, but we now need to get employers involved that they can then help us to influence what's happening upstream. Because there's lots of, and Damien mentioned it, open university courses, various different training. But if we're not um, bringing people in the prison system or probation system to the stage where uh, they have the right skills that employers need, we're doing them a disservice. We need to be able to talk to employers and say, where are you hurting? Where Where are your vacancies? And obviously, COVID has had a particular impact on that. But there's still going to be opportunities there are still opportunities in fact just today alone at a social enterprise call me and say we've got four vacancies and we want to recruit from your sector so we need to be able to capitalize on that and and listen to employers and listen to the likes of past saying this would help um, and this would help me in the future or um you know that this would this would maybe be something that would influence other employers to take uh, people with criminal records on
1: I think it's it's great to hear about some of those uh, initiatives that are that are in play, and I think it's really important, as you say, that that we talked a lot about labels, but that idea that uh, someone with a conviction who takes up a position and then leaves for various different reasons because the job is not a right fit for them is still defined. By their conviction, if they come to represent, I'm all people with convictions. I'm not going to hire a person with a conviction because that one let me down. But if that person is an individual and not just a person with a conviction, then that is not the uh, mindset that the employer would have for anyone else. If you take any characteristic of, or or, or element of somebody's history, but I think a, a very pertinent point that you've made and is very. Central to our uh, project as well is that idea of uh, bridging the gap of understanding that uh, more knowledge means that people in whether it's employment or education don't have those uh, potential misgivings or maybe uh, don't have the right amount of information to make decisions. So, to give a really simple example from the research that does exist on uh, uh, admissions policies for higher education in different parts of the world, there's essentially no uh, credible evidence that uh, admissions policies who that restrict or ask people about their criminal convictions uh, has any uh, positive impact on campus safety, for instance. But there is uh, uh, literature of uh, examples of uh, how it detrimentally affects, negatively affects those people who are seeking to uh, progress in their pathway on in life. So as you can see, bridging that knowledge gap is goes a long way to changing people's attitudes and policies and practices in this area. Um, one thing um, I wanted to mention there that you also noted was that the right fit and the right skills and training for people to take up uh, positions is really important. But the barriers come into play here as well. And one thing that we find is that uh, some people with convictions uh, are interested in maybe community work and areas where they feel that they can draw on their experience and and contribute to maybe help people who are on a a path that they uh, went down in their own lives. But there's considerable barriers to some social care courses and different elements. And a key point is that where uh, disclosure is necessary or perhaps part of someone's uh, probation or license in different countries, that's absolutely fine. But those courses can still mitigate when someone should be asked to disclose. And if they need to do a module that needs disclosure, they can be directed to another module if they choose to do so rather than have a blanket policy. I have one question, and we are coming to the end Um, for you, uh, Damien. And Pat mentioned that he, uh, like many people often do, Googled you. And uh, it crossed my mind that uh, something that you may consider when starting a job or uh, going to a new environment is whether you disclose or whether you tell people about your past or whether you feel... A burden to withhold that information, or, or how you how you manage that, uh, in your employment life or, or, or everyday life.
2: I'm pretty pretty open about my my background now. Like you know, I, I learned to accept it a long time ago. You know, live with it. And like I've been really lucky here with Pat. You know, I got the skills in prison, the business administration more that I apply here every day. You know, this is a, a position of trust that he's given me. I'm not out on. A building site, drilling holes or whatever. He's he's asking me to deal with really important, uh, doing a, a really important job which is care for the clients of this company that are buying a house a life-changing thing or selling a house. You know, it isn't like you know stacking a shelf somewhere. This is a, this is a really important job and uh, he's trusted me to do that. Uh, but with regards to um, say in uh, community development side of things, which I, I do a lot of as well, like I applied uh, well, I was asked to be uh, the secretary for the county for calling Community Games, and uh, I got that role after a three-month process. Basically the vice president of the the national organization was the guy that approached me, and uh, we had the coffee and we had the chat, and he said would you do this, and I said yeah. I said what's involved? I said, I have to stop you there now. Um, I have something from my past. I should probably tell you now. And uh, so he said, well, when I told him what it was like, as I told you, um, he said, he just sat back on the chair. He looked at me and he said, what have you done since that time? And I never got asked that in, a, in an interview in my life. you know. And it was a really, he kind of caught me on the spot then because I thought I was going to have to be telling him about all of the negative stuff. But I said, well, I went to college. I well, I held on a job, two jobs. I went to college, you know, I've done all this extra training and skill. I do this in my spare time. And um, I was able to, all these positive things completely outweighed what happened years ago that I, that I can't change anyway. So part of my thing now is being open. and I, Everybody knows me in my area and they know what I'm all about. And I'm all about helping either people coming from that environment in my spare time or people heading into that. Uh, you know like in mentoring capacity and uh, that's that's how I that's why I suppose progress now is my progression has helped others progress
1: that's, that's what I do I think that's a, a very uh, poignant uh, point that I'll, I'll come back to in a moment but I wanted to bring you in there Siobhan
0: yeah I mean I think what what Damien just described there is in a way you know an ideal a disclosure of of a past situation you know um we do have to ask ourselves how many times does an individual have to make that disclosure and how long does that have to go on for that's very much around the spent convictions piece that you mentioned earlier but one of the things i suppose to to you know this is about myth busting you know when there is a, a, a i believe a misunderstanding around the vetting and the the vetting process the vetting um you know for for those that are listening in employers when someone goes to regard the vetting process they have to uh, detail all of the previous residents where they've lived since they were born and then they also have to highlight the convictions that they have on their record and that then goes off the guard the vetting unit they check all of that and they verify yes or no that this is what the person's basically telling the truth they've done they've listed everything that they have on their criminal record. It's very much a one-sided view of the individual as Damien has has very rightly pointed out, but that is not the decision. That doesn't give the employer the yes or no decision. That gives the employer information on that individual. It is then up to the, up to the discretion of the employer to say, well, actually, yeah, you did a really, really good interview. You have the skills that we need. You seem to be a fit for our organization. You who have been honest with your guard the vetting form that has come back, it has highlighted that you do have a past, but that was ten years ago, or fifteen years ago, or five years ago, and you have done a significant amount of things in the meantime. So as I said, that guard the vetting process, it's not, it doesn't come back as saying yes, you can employ this employ this person, or you no, you shouldn't. It then is at the discretion of the employer, and that's really important. And I think, you know, myself and Damien have had long conversations about an alternative approach to guard the vetting. And even on Garda Shia would agree that actually the one sided view, which often is very historical, um, doesn't do the individual any any benefit whatsoever. And Pat has rightly pointed out that Damien does a huge amount in his community. And so do an awful lot of other people who have been through that process because they have to distance themselves from their past because they know that the Garda vetting form is there. It's a one sided view. It's only negative. These are all the wrong things that I've done. These are the things that I've got convictions for, and on you know on the other side, doing the Red Cross program in prison, doing you know suicide awareness, doing a huge amount with the community, the community games, all of those things that you know an individual does to distance themselves from their past is not presented to the employer. Now that's desperately unfair, and I think you know as I said in Damien's case, you know it, he has done a huge amount uh That he took on himself to do. Constantly learning, Pat said he's constantly learning, looking for his new challenge. Just finished a masters. He's failed to mention that already, but uh, finished his masters and, and has done incredibly well in it. So, you know, we have to find an alternative or a system that runs alongside the current guard the vetting, uh, that that highlights how this individual has changed and all of the positive things that they've done. And in many cases, you know, I think that that would give the employer the opportunity to make a a better informed decision about the individual that sits in front of them.
1: I think that's a critical insight. And I think with that, we get uh, one side is the technical side of what employers understand about the Garda Vetting process, that um, the picture they're getting is very one-dimensional, but also that uh, formally and and perhaps legally, that it is not a uh, right or a... uh, an imprimatur to no longer employ somebody based on, uh, purely on this information. But what is often more tragic and and, and insidious is that the very term Garda Vetting carries so much weight for employers and potential employees that the mere mention of it means that people will self-select and won't go for the job or won't go for the uh, education course. And that's something that's part of this project, that trying to uh, engage people who self-select and won't go for it because something as simple as that is putting them off, even though that's not the way it is designed to operate. Um, well, I'd like to uh, bring us close to a close, but I, I certainly want to give everyone an opportunity to add anything if they if they'd like to before we finish up, in case there's anything you'd like to add.
0: And the only thing uh, I, I wouldn't mind sharing with your listeners is, uh, you know, and encourage employers to, and those who have a criminal past, to access the workingtochange.ie website. Um, it's kind of a one-stop shop. You'll you'll be able to download the the new strategy that we have you know for those who are working in frontline services and and experiencing any gaps or blocks with working with individuals um you know there's an opportunity to be able to do that so then we can try and rectify that but absolutely they're working there is support there for people um it potentially in some cases could be better we need to know it could be better and when we know that and have that information we can do what we can and believe me i will do my my damnedest to make sure that the the i suppose the demand that is there is being met by services that are meeting people at where they're at so the workingtochange.ie website absolutely encourage anybody to go to it uh, there's uh, Damien's case study is there pat has an input on it so um yeah i'd encourage employers or anybody to go and have a look at that.
1: thanks very much and, and i'll certainly put that in this a, a very poignant way to kind of Uh, finish things so that does bring us to the end of this episode of the unlocking potential podcast my sincere thanks once again to our guests Siobhan Damien and Pat for being with us and sharing your insights on employment which corresponds with our aims to develop a fair admissions policy to higher education for people with convictions thank you all for listening don't forget to subscribe and look out for the next episode of the Unlocking Potential podcast.
0: Unlocking Potential is funded through the Public Service Innovation Fund and led by the Maynooth University Access Program and the Maynooth University Department of Law. With support from my lab, Maynooth University Innovation Lab and diverse partners across education and criminal justice.